The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 6. It All Starts Easy. September 15th. Lock in. At our little 420 celebration, the fraternity told us that we needed to come up with $10 apiece so that we could buy a keg for our first event, lock-in. It would be a social event for the pledge class to get to know each other. We would also have to choose our pledge president. We all pitched in our money, and a brother named Chippy showed up with a keg. He was one of the newly initiated brothers, also known as a nib. Nibs and Sig H were known to be angry because they had just been hazed for an entire semester. He practically rolled the thing in himself with some help from James. I was still new to the keg world, so having seen so many kegs in these past few weeks, let alone have someone roll one out of a truck and carry it into a house for me, was quite entertaining. Chippy set the keg down and talked to us for a few minutes about the pledging process. His attitude had taken a turn since we started pledging. He wasn't hanging out, smoking blunts, shooting the shit anymore. It was like he had a sense of entitlement. He couldn't wait to haze us so that he could take out his nib anger on someone. Chippy started acting like he hated us after we started pledging. All of his replies took a few seconds like he was thinking of the most strategic answer he could give as not to make friends with us. I would compare the feeling I felt to getting recruited to like a military organization or government institution or like an organization or any job where in the beginning it seems so exciting. And then when you get through the door, everybody's like, fuck this new guy. Yeah. Or they baited you. And yeah, now you're the, you're the fall guy. What's funny about Chippy is that like, I never expected him to come back on the other side with the, with the level of energy that he did. Because when we when we pledged, he was not he was he was mild mannered man hippie like. <laughs> but he got turned evil from being hazed, and he had to reciprocate, right? Yeah, he definitely was ready to give it back. That just took me by surprise. And that's why they call them all angry nibs because the newly initiated brothers in our fraternity have had the they're shit the hazed out of them. Yeah, they're the angriest. He was going to make us hate life. I just had a feeling. Up until this point, I had only ever seen hazing in the movies. I was just hoping I wouldn't have to whip my dick out or something. Chippy told us to have fun and asked if anyone had any weed. We smoked some weed together and then he left us to our own devices. I'm not going to lie. For the longest time, I was so worried that something was going to happen to my beautiful penis while I was pledging. <laughs> that was my biggest concern, that somebody was going to try to, like, mutilate me in some way or, like, whip it out and it might get hurt. Like, that's, that's my biggest concern the entire time I'm pledging. Not any of the other things other than the Johnson. Worried about your junk. You bet. The lock-in event was held in the main SIGH chapter house. It was our first event, and a decent experience. At least we thought it was our first event, but it was more of an appetizer. In terms of event difficulty, it was the easiest event. 
At the time, though, we thought what we were doing was somewhat difficult. There was only five of us, and we had to drink an entire keg by ourselves. Occasionally, the brothers that stopped by would have a beer with us, but in the grand scheme of 120-plus cups, it wasn't a very big contribution to the preservation of our livers. We had a fifth person show up to join us. His name was Blake. I didn't like him that much. He was a tad taller than me, and a little thicker. I didn't like him because he acted shady, slimy even. Something about him rubbed me the wrong way instantly. Not the same way Cop Knowles did. This was a this person will steal from me vibe. He told us that Forrest said he could pledge, and that he was sorry he was a late addition. And I was already pretty good at picking up this this person will steal from me vibe. So I think I remember... I think I remember Blake. Yes. Like, I, I remember the face, and I remember not liking him. And then thinking about having to drink an entire keg between five people in a couple hour span, that is actually a lot of beer. That is a, an insane amount of beer. I mean, for you said five people. I don't remember. I don't remember that event. <laughs> So, it was uh, uh, it was a get to know you event. We thought it was like a shitty slumber party. It was supposed to be get to know your pledge brothers, right? Yeah. He didn't go to Radford. He went to New River Community College, a local college. At the time, I didn't know that the fraternity took pledges from surrounding colleges as well. Even though we weren't on campus, it didn't seem like a problem if they eventually planned on transferring. Most of the fraternity brothers didn't like him either, which naturally made us dislike him even more. I always give people the benefit of the doubt, though, and started talking to Blake. He seemed closed off, and like he was on cocaine. After a while of talking, we decided to make him pledge president, because none of us wanted to do it. Going back to what I was saying about the fall guy earlier... We already knew we were the fall guys, and this guy came in late. So we're like, oh, perfect. You can be the master fall guy. Yep. <laughs> he was also friends with Forrest, which we thought may aid us in our pledging process. We spent the next bit getting help. to know one another. What I'm was sorry. that? I said that could never help you. <laughs> Being friends with the brother? No. Being friends with Forrest. And we found out that Blake was friends with Forrest because they both did wild amounts of cocaine together. Right. <laughs> Although we nominated Blake as our pledge president, it was almost as if we were purposefully setting him up for failure. He hadn't been pinned and wasn't at the initial pledge interviews. He was only there because he was Forrest's friend, and we were sure he wouldn't make it because we didn't click. Not only that, but he acted like he was the golden child or something. Everyone knew there was only space for one golden child, John Knowles. During the evening, brothers would stop by to talk and check in, but most of them wanted a free beer. Doug, Forrest, Kyle, Patrick, Tommy, Zeke, and some other brothers that I didn't get the names of came by the house throughout the night. Most of them didn't crash our mini-party for too long. Patrick, on the other hand, chatted our ears off, telling us we were going to be hating life soon. He told us that pledging would be one of the best times in our lives that we would never want to do again. When Tommy got to the house, he told Patrick to leave us alone because it was our event and wasn't for brothers. Tommy said, Hey, it's one thing to check in, but drinking all the pledges beer is not cool. 
Tommy and Patrick both left together shortly after that. Even with all of our visitors, we couldn't finish the keg. We smoked a few joints between us and were burnt out by midnight. We didn't know when we were allowed to leave, so we waited until LT showed up two hours later. By now it was 2 a.m. He told us we had a pledge meeting the coming Sunday. We were fucking smashed and we could barely walk when we stood up to leave. Since we had class the next morning, we bailed out and left with half the keg full of beer. When we came back in the morning to clean, the keg was empty. I learned a couple of important things. I learned that people can change their tune in a heartbeat, so you always have to be careful around newer people. Your first instincts about new people shouldn't be ignored. They are usually right. And I also learned that if you leave a half-full keg in a frat house, it will get finished. Truth. So a couple good lessons from that one. Absolutely. And you got to meet your uh, pledge your pledge class. That's a, a nice thing. Nice sentiment. Yeah, it's nice getting to bond with the guys, thinking like, hey, this is easy. Like, how are you guys doing? Like, you want to drink 25 beers with me? <laughs> September 18th. Dumb and drunk. I came back to the dorms after a night of drinking with John. I was extremely drunk and in need of some physical attention. I knew Allison down the hall wanted me, but she was by no means on my radar. She wasn't attractive, and it made me sick to think of hooking up with her sober. Fortunately for me, I was off the rails. I knocked on Allison's door and asked her if she wanted to hook up, point blank. She welcomed me into her room and her bed immediately. She let me play with her boobs, and we made out. She didn't want to have a one-night stand because she was a virgin. She said she wanted to date me, and we should be an item. I had made a terrible mistake. Every time I listen to this one-minute clip, and I start to actually visualize this event in my life, like go through the reel in my head, I get so gaggy in the back of my throat, like I can taste it right now. Like, what did I do? Why was I... What? What? How horrible a human being am I? Oh yeah, brother, it gets worse. When I had my first opportunity to get out of her room, I politely said I had a class to go to. I raced back to my room and showered until I was a prune. I probably used all of the hot water in the entire 13-story dorm. To this day, it makes me gag thinking about if I would have slept with her. If I would have gotten her pregnant, I would have killed myself. Jesus. So, for the rest of the semester, anytime that she saw me down the hallway, she'd say, Hey, Mike! And I would just book it to my room. I straight up would run to my room, and people would be like, What the hell is wrong with him? And in my mind, I just figured it was easier to literally run away from the situation than it was to even let her talk to me. Wow. And because I was so disgusted at myself. Yeah, you should have been. <laughs> September 19th, our first pledge class meeting. On the Sunday after the lock-in, we had our first pledge meeting. LT called us over to his house. It was the White House I had been to, behind the Sig H chapter house. He had three roommates, Carl Kaiser, who sold us weed, and two non-fraternity brothers, Nick and Lachlan. When we got there, we didn't know what to expect. We stood in the barroom looking at paddles while we waited for LT. 
It was cool seeing paddles almost as old as I was, still being displayed and maintained like in a museum. Even though all the fraternity houses smelled of beer, vomit, pot, sex and cigarettes, they had one thing in common. Paddles and pictures on all the walls. It told me that the fraternities had honor and respect for tradition. LT came into the house sweating like he had just been having sex. He immediately looked at us and counted aloud. One, two, three, four. Four? I thought there were five of you shitbags. Did someone quit before the fun started? I piped up that we hadn't heard from Blake since the lock-in. LT proceeded to give us another brotherly lesson, and that was that we needed to know where our pledge brothers were at all times. He told us we should have known that Blake quit the day after lock-in. Huh. It was crucial to know because... What a kick in the pants, right? So quick. So he came for one night, quit the day after. It was not for him. Drinking around a keg with four other dudes was not for him. wonder where he is. He probably made something way better out of his life than I did. <laughs> they were our most important resource. The exact quote that I remember to this day is, always know where your resources are. He invited us all to take a seat, but there was nowhere to sit. As with most college students, the only piece of free furniture in the room had a pile of clothes on top of it. Our four-man pledge class sat cross-legged on the floor and began to listen intently. LT explained to us how the pledging process would work. He told us what to expect, what was allowed, and what wasn't. If we had problems, or anything, he was the go-to guy, but he didn't want to be bothered with bitchy bullshit. He was there for the big stuff, when we had nowhere else to go. He laid out our schedule, and told us we'd have to be available at the following times. Sundays. Pledge meeting at 6pm start time. Library from 7 to 10pm. Mondays. Library from 7 to 10pm. Tuesdays. Library from 7 to 10pm. Wednesdays. Pledge event nights, 10 p.m. start time. Thursdays, library from 7 to 10 p.m. Sig H party nights, 10 p.m. start time. Fridays, free night to ourselves or shadowing brothers at parties. Saturdays, Sig H party nights, 10 p.m. start time. This was the schedule the fraternity wanted to try and maintain. LT said that any night could turn into a surprise fraternal event. What a stack of shit to do! Yeah, no doubt. Better get your homework done in those library hours. I was already in the first study program. I already had to do hours of sitting in this other place that required like a scan key card every time I went in there. Nerd. With me already having to log 20 hours a week in the student resource center, I wasn't going to have a lot of free time. And by free time, I mean party and drug abuse time. After we moaned and groaned about having to be at the library every night, LT carried on. At each SIG-H party, one of us with a license would have to be the designated driver for the brothers. Since I didn't have a license, I'd be free and clear from that. During pledging, we would have to carry a pledge pack. A pledge pack contained items that we would have to have on us at all times. The pack had to be in a Ziploc bag, and the brothers would check the items in our packs randomly whenever they saw us. Each item in the pack had a purpose, to either the pledge or the fraternity. If a brother wanted, he could make a pledge, or all the pledges, add another item to their pledge pack. At the time of this meeting, 
the required items in our pledge packs were one lighter, one pack of gum, one pen and a notepad, one porno that had to be updated every week. LT noted that the brothers will check this. Three condoms that could not be expired, worn, or torn. The condoms had to be available for brothers to use when they needed them. Later in the semester, I added both Tums and Rolaids. LT even said that we could rip pages out of the massive number of pornos that were kept in the chapter house. We would just have to be sneaky about it. Finally, we would each have to create a pledge book. Our pledge book would serve as our notebook for meetings, a place to take notes, and our interview book. If we lost it, or it fell into the wrong hands, the fraternity could get into some serious trouble. This was exasperated by the fact our entire pledge class was composed of first semester freshmen. We were not legally allowed to pledge the fraternity, according to campus rules. There were so many things. Like, they already gave us a stack of stuff to do, and now they're like, hey, here's a scroll of rules for you to memorize. Yeah, yeah and, and the pledge pack. I remember the pledge pack. Now you have to this. carry this bag of garbage with you and conduct yourself a certain way to our standards while not getting suspended. I remember a pack of cigarettes was a part of my pledge pack at one point. That sucks because yeah. cigarettes are bulky. Yeah. And I think it was because I smoked menthol cigarettes at the time and uh, none of the brothers did. So because I smoked menthol cigarettes and they would always bum cigarettes off me, they would be like, "Ugh, you got you you know what? You have to get a pack of cigarettes for your pledge pack." And they made you get normal cigarettes, yep. non-menthols. Yep. That's what that's I I have I have vague memories of that having to carry a pack of cigarettes. We got to hear a story about a pledge losing his interview book. A brother found it and froze it into a block of ice and then made the pledge thought with his bare ass. I immediately took a mental note not to lose my pledge book to avoid embarrassment. Our interview books could get us in trouble because in most cases, the interviews turned into wicked brotherly confessions. LT explained that interviews could become a drink fest, drug fest, or worse, a haze fest. I know this is skipping ahead, but I actually don't think that it got covered in the book, but Tony's pledge book did get frozen at some point. And when he went looking for it, it wasn't fully frozen in the freezer yet. And he just grabbed it and took it. And the brother got very mad at him. <laughs> my uh, my chucks, uh, I took my chucks off one time when I wasn't supposed to. And uh, they got peed in and frozen. <laughs> they, they peed in your <laughs> shoes and then froze the pee? Yeah. That's pretty much the worst. Yeah. We would need to plan interviews with brothers after classes, and never before anything important. We may just end up too impaired to make it anywhere. Interviews would give pledges the ability to learn whatever they wanted about the brothers of the fraternity. If a pledge could ask the right question, it could reveal a lot about each of the brothers. LT said he'd explain more to us after Krabs came by. A few more minutes of explaining went by when a new face appeared. He was morbidly obese and had bleach blonde hair that was messy. He had on grungy shoes, ripped black jeans, and an extra small pink Volcom shirt. He thought he looked trendy. His young face was aged from fake tanning and he looked somewhat like a flamboyant hipster. He had a thick accent and sounded like he was from Boston. When he spoke, I could start to hear the faint symptoms of a speech impediment. 
After hearing his first stammer, I knew I was right. His name was Colin Rabs, or Krabs, as he introduced himself. He was the president of the Sigma Iota Gamma Eta fraternity. In other words, he was the head honcho. Colin told us about what he did in his role as president of the fraternity, and told us that this would probably be the only pledge meeting that he would come to. The rest hmm. would all be up to LT to run, and ah! Eric Davis, the postulant educator vice president, to run in LT's absence. Are you murdering a Salem witch over there? No, I just coughed. Oh, okay. One time. He wanted to talk to us about hazing, and said that under no circumstances were we ever to say we had been hazed, or that Sigma Iota Gamma Eta hazed its pledges. He reminded us that we weren't pledging, so that shouldn't be a problem. If we did somehow get put into a position where we were caught pledging, each pledge would get the fraternity fined $500 through the campus, and it would not make him happy. LT interjected and told us that we should be extra cautious about making monetary mistakes, because Crab liked to spend his money on clothes and not on his pledges' mistakes. You know when, like, you put something into the universe? This was Crab's putting this into the universe. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> the pledges should not know that if they get caught pledging that they're going to get the fraternity fine $500. That should just actually be a non-issue. Crabs let us know that if hazing ever got out of control, or we thought that something was happening that was going too far or too aggressive, that we could call him, and he would fly to our rescue. It was a kind gesture, but we knew it was just semantics, and he would either A. Never pick up his phone when we called, B. Would tell us to deal with it, or C. The haze would just happen another time when Krabs wasn't around to save us. This is like, who wants to get hazed millionaire? What do you do if your brothers are hazing you too much? Do you A. Call the president of the fraternity B. Suck it up, princess C. Tell them to fuck off and leave D. Quit Or E. Call your postulant educator <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember Krabs having female roommates and, uh like I remember going to like a fancy party at his house once, like a, like a fancy wine and cheese party, like a cocktail party. Yeah, we like we had to come in a tie. Well, that's he owned a lot of those. Yeah. No matter what, it was an empty offer for help if we needed it. Krabs took his leave and walked out of LT's bedroom door. LT continued explaining what our role as pledges would be. We would be known as neophytes, and our lives would no longer fully belong to us. They belonged to the fraternity. We would give, 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 and get very little back. But like any long-term investment, we had to look past the pledge period and think with very strong foresight towards the future. It would be in our best interest to make it into the fraternity and reap its benefits. This sounded great to me, as I planned on suckling on the fraternity's tits until the milk ran dry. LT explained that we would each be required to get two signed interviews a week from brothers in the fraternity. The goal was to have interviewed every brother in the fraternity by Hell Week because brothers got angry when pledges didn't get their interviews. He warned us that when brothers hazed pledges, they'd likely ask why they weren't being interviewed yet. If they weren't the top picks for interviews, brothers may become insulted that pledges didn't want to be their friend or that they weren't the popular, well-liked brother. 
He added that interviews were a great way to get to know each of the brothers in the fraternity. He encouraged us to take that time to get to know our future brothers. He wanted us to ask good questions and remain involved, not conduct interrogations. It was so freaking hard to get brothers to commit to interviews on top of their own lives, on top of partying, on top of the stack of crap that we had to do for the fraternity that wasn't related to interviews, on top of our own hazing, because we would get called over to places and have to do things, which we'll hear about later on in this book, but we wouldn't get the opportunity to get these interviews. Shouldn't have been that hard if you just used your resources. I hate you. <laughs> the more and more LT explained what would be involved in the pledging process, the less I wanted to do it. It sounded like utter slavery, and on top of that, there was no winning or achieving absolute success. At least, not until we were members of the fraternity, and that would take time. Interviews were a lose-lose, because there was no way a pledge could interview all the brothers. There would inevitably always be a brother, or brothers, that would be upset that they weren't chosen to be interviewed. Our pledge class tried to plan a way to interview as many brothers as possible and keep them happy at the same time. Pledging would be a war of mind games. The other requirement of pledging was that we had to buy shoes that we had to wear the entire pledge period. It was a special kind of shoe. The fucking Ronald McDonald shoe. The Chuck mm -hmm. Taylor. A white tip Converse shoe. A shoe that I find fresh today, but that I detested when I was pledging. This whole pledging thing seemed like one more club or expense that I didn't want to have to pay for. I already have to pay for, well, my dad already has to pay for lawyers. I don't need to have to pay for these ghetto shoes that I don't even want to wear. I already had Chucks when I was in this. So they're like, you're going to have to get another pair of Chucks. I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, not so much. It was like Japanese foot binding. <laughs> I bitched for a while, but stuck with it. Wear some shoes, perform some interviews, and shove some random items in a bag, and I'd be good. The first week of pledging, we were going to have our first real event, and we had to have our shoes by then. That meant that one of the brothers would have to pick them up for me because I didn't have a car or a license. It also meant I had less money to spend on partying, and I didn't want to waste money on shoes that wouldn't fit, nor did I want to waste money on shoes I didn't like. LT couldn't tell us what the event was called. He just said it was also known as F&H. After he dodged all of our questions about the event, he explained the next and final rule. The rule was that we couldn't walk on the grass with our pledge shoes on. It was a rule that was going to be hard to follow when we were late to class. If we happened to get caught on the grass by a brother, we would owe them a favor. The brother could also choose to haze us more during an event. LT warned us that sometimes, even after performing a favor for the brother, they may tell other brothers that you walked on grass and you'd pay double for it. It was starting. They were slowly taking away our freedoms and instilling new rules into our lifestyles. It was like radical brainwashing. First they start with minor things, then before you know it, you're a prisoner. There were so many other things that I could compare this to, but I wanted to stick with the scope of the book. Yeah. They were becoming the enslavers, and soon, we would be the slaves. Just as the meeting was almost over, LT added one last point of business. We were to clean the fraternity house after every party. Super lame. That mm. house was huge, and I was never there to see it afterward, but I was quite certain it would be left in a disastrous shamble after every party. Needless to say, 
It was going to be a long semester. We left LT's house and went to complete our first task, which was cleaning the fraternity house. It was pretty messy, but we did an excellent job. While we were cleaning, Patrick O'Connor passed by the house. He said that he wanted to be my first interview and that I had to be at his house later that afternoon. Sweet, my first interview, I thought. Except, I had no questions prepared. It was going to be a busy day. We picked a time, and he left. I went back to cleaning with the other pledges. When we were done cleaning, I raced to my dorm to write some questions. They all turned out to be pretty mediocre. So, the interviews... Depending on the brother, the interview process, you know, you think you're going, you're going in blind, right? You, you don't know what to expect. You don't have questions ready. You know, you're supposed to write these questions up. What is it, like 20 questions? I don't remember. 30. 30 questions, right. You're supposed to write these questions up, and, and you're, you're kind of going in blind. Half the times, the, the brothers don't let you ask the questions. Like, like you've got stuff to do, or, or, or there's distractions. Like, sometimes these interviews take, like, four or five hours. Or they make you rewrite the questions while you're asking them. I don't right. like that question. Ask me another one. Well, I got to ask you a total of 30 questions, and I only brought 30 questions, so... There's definitely brothers that added questions, too, so like now you have 31 questions. <laughs> Absolutely. I want you to ask everybody this and report yeah. back to me in a week and let me know what everybody said was their favorite time. Mm -hmm. So it's taken us about a month to read six chapters we're stretching out our content like disney <laughs> now we just got to put it behind some ridiculous double double tiered paywall but people don't listen to this anyways and the day that they do i'll probably be turned into dust in the wind but we appreciate anybody that does yeah we appreciate you